Are you ready? Live from the Metal Mayhem Studios in Rochester, New York. We are gold. And heard around the world by metalheads just like you. This is Metal Mayhem ROC. Heavy metal music. Your weekly dose of metal music. Interviews, album reviews, news, and more. Want to be part of the show? Send us a message through our website, MetalMayhemROC.com. Or hit us up on Facebook and Twitter. Search Metal Mayhem ROC. It's getting nice and heavy. Now, welcome our hosts, John the Vernomatic Verno and Metal Forever Mark. Good evening, everybody. I'm the Vernomatic, and welcome to this week's show. As always, new content drops every Thursday night. Visit the MetalMayhemROC.com website. There you'll find direct links to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. Whatever way you get your podcasting content, we have direct links. While you're at the website, do us a favor, download some past shows, get up to speed on what we're doing here subscribe, leave a review. That kind of stuff helps the bottom line. Sign up to our weekly email newsletter list. There you'll receive weekly updates on new shows, merch, promos, and free giveaways. Through the month of January, we are running a promo, giving away a free copy of the Rob Halford book, Confess. And Greg Brockway of Rochester, New York, was the lucky winner. So he's getting a free book. We're also giving away a free copy of tonight's feature interview. It's Brian Wheat of Tesla. His new book is titled Son of a Milkman, My Crazy Life with Tesla. Well, Brian lifts the lid on living the rock and roll lifestyle while struggling with anxiety, depression, and other issues seldom discussed by musicians. Brian gives us a history of the band Tesla, how they started out from City Kid, got signed to a major label, Gives us the inside scoop on how the band got those early tours with David Lee Roth, Alice Cooper, and Def Leppard. And he gives us the backstory on how he parlayed a personal hobby into a tight friendship with Jimmy Page. Metal Forever Mark connects with Brian on a personal level as the two discuss Brian's struggle with colitis, an autoimmune disease. It's a great interview. He's a good guy. You know, he doesn't hold any punches. He talks about it all. So that's what we have on tap tonight. Tonight's show sponsor is Mr. V's Street Style Vending. We're going to play a spot for Mr. V's, and then we're going to get in the interview. So again, to get in the drawing for a free copy of the book, Son of a Milkman, My Crazy Life with Tesla, the Brian Wheat book, just go to the website and sign up for our emailing list. It's that simple. So let's hear from Mr. V's Street Style Vending, and then Metal Forever Mark and myself will be back with the Brian Weed interview. I'm the Vernomatic, and you're listening to Metal Mayhem ROC. This edition of Metal Mayhem ROC is brought to you by Mr. V's Street Style Vending and Special Events Catering. Visit our lunch cart in the College Town District at Strong Memorial Hospital or hit up the late night weekend location at the corner of Monroe Avenue in South Goodman. Look us up at MRVSVending.com for catering, pricing, and availability. That's Mr. V's Street Style Vending and Special Events Catering. Now, back to Metal Mayhem ROC. Get that popcorn ready and grab a seat. Do it! As the Vernomatic and Metal Forever Mark presents this week's feature interview. Exclusively here on Metal Mayhem ROC. Hey 
We're here to talk about the new book, Brian's new book, Son of a Milkman, My Crazy Life with Tesla. First and foremost, it was a pleasure to read it. It really was. Uh, I consumed the book in about two nights, and I'm not the biggest reader. I'm more of an audio guy. Credit to you to establishing a hell of a career and a lot of obstacles that you've overcome throughout the 58 years you've been around. So not getting ahead of ourselves, what brought you up to Rochester, uh, Auburn? I'm in Texas now for the winter, but I love it up there in the Finger Lakes. It's beautiful. Um, there was this really cool house that belonged to this uh, Senator John Dulles. And, uh, you know, from the Dulles Airport, it was his family home in the 30s. And um, this is old historical house. And uh, I like old houses, and it had a great price tag attached to it, and there were no rattlesnakes in the backyard. And uh, it just seemed like the right place. And so I went up there for a few days and hung out and got a feel for the, you know, the town and the area, and well, we love it. Well, um, you know, it's a far cry from the West Coast in Texas, but uh, again, welcome to the area. First question right off the bat is, is it an end of the career book or was it just something that, you know, therapeutic, you had to get off your chest to just no, put it out it there? Therapeutic, getting it off my chest. I don't plan on stopping. The band doesn't plan on stopping. So it wasn't a, it wasn't an end of the career book. No. When you started assembling this book, did it bring up some maybe memories you didn't remember or was this something you were chronicling throughout your, you know? No, I mean, I remembered them pretty easily. So it wasn't like I went, Oh, Hey, what was that? You know, what did that, what happened there? I got a pretty good memory. Um, You know, you remember these things and you put them away. I think what made it easy for me was approaching it kind of like in, in a timeline, you know, and starting back when I was very young, four or five years old, And then just kind of working my way across, you know, this timeline laterally uh, helped me remember a lot of stuff. Yeah. So, Brian, you had um, you kind of mentioned this and I heard this on some of the other interviews you had done that. And this was weird for me just as a fan growing up with all those great albums and the great songwriting and the songs. You know, Tesla wasn't, I guess, necessarily known as like one of those party bands, you know, like as like Motley Crue is infamous for, or like a poison. I actually thought growing up when I was listening to all your music that you guys were one of those bands that kind of had everything kind of together uh, in some ways, but you were pretty <laughs> detailed about the party. Did you think and, we were guess, in Striper or something? <laughs> I don't, no, it was just like the, I think, because I think the quality of music was so good. So I guess my question is how did you maintain the quality, even though like, I mean, are, we, had all are you other... referring to the drug use? I guess so. I think, yeah, the drugs yeah, and partying okay. just, and the things that you said got in the yeah, way just of put things. put it out you... there because that's the kind of guy I am. I'll just put it out there. It ain't no big deal. Don't worry about it. Um, look, everyone does drugs. Okay? You do them. You start out as a kid, and you do them out of curiosity or peer pressure or whatever. And then, you know, you like them. And then you either lose control or you have some semblance of control, you think. and then you kind of grow up and you outgrow them or you don't and you end up dead or, you know, other things, right? Bad things happen to you. So 
when I talk about the drugs, it wasn't like, hey, look, we did all these drugs because, you know, it wasn't a contest. It wasn't to see who could do the most drugs. I think it's I think it's just that they were never really talked about, but they were there and were a problem for us, which is why I mentioned them. You know what I'm saying? Because, uh, I mean, it's pretty well documented that Tommy Skeel's not in the band anymore because of his drug problem. The songwriting was so high quality. Like, would you guys just kind of silo it? Like, hey, there was time for partying and there was time for business? Or, like, how do you think the quality maintains so high with the songwriting? Well, I mean, look at the songs the Beatles wrote on drugs. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah, I mean, sure. you don't put a governor on these things. It's not like we were, like, you know... Hi, 24-7. It's just we did. There were times there were drugs in the studio, and those were kind of hidden, to be honest with you. From, you know, me and Troy, we really, you know, we didn't see too much of that because those guys knew we didn't like it. So, you know, it wasn't like it was just, you know, a party, party, party. I mean, the songs always came first. That was always it. I mean, that's where we connect is when we write the songs. Well, the, the ironic thing was when you really, what I got out of the book, when you really started indulging in some of the heavy partying was when Frank was, was checking out. So you guys were never really. Well, I kind of indulged as I felt the band was breaking up and it was out of, uh, you know, sadness. I mean, I never really messed with the harder stuff until, you know, the latter part, 1994, 95, when I knew that the band was, you know, heading for an end i could see the the breakup coming and and my attitude was well you know what was so special about all this shit and then i did it and like i said i liked it and i liked it for a couple of years and the band broken up and went on that course for a while and then my wife got you know got me together and cleaned me up and put me back on my feet and then I started Soul Motor and got Tesla back together. I mean, it's just a series of events. I think the underlying thing is that there's always obstacles, okay? And no matter what you do, whatever it is, and you've always got to overcome the obstacles if you want to get to the other side. The obstacle, yeah, the obstacles you were overcoming, the, the, the fire of your house that, that burned to the ground. You know, it just seemed like, even from the beginning, every time you tried to, uh, you're always tested, but you always overcame it. You're, you know, when you started the band, you know, the story about when Ross Helfin hid you in the back because you're the heavy kid. But well, <laughs> yeah, that's, you know, that's, that was his job. That's what he was supposed to do. The thing about it is it pissed me off enough to make me go lose the weight. Yeah, yeah, no, and that's the point I'm trying to make. You, you know, as soon as they, you know, someone tried to keep you down, you, it's a credit to you, Brian, that, you know, you said, fuck it, and you you looked in the mirror and you figured it out, and I think that's that's the the theme of the book. It's just like, hey. It is. That, that is the total theme of the book. The total, you know, you got to hang tough when the going gets rough. Pick yourself up off the ground. <laughs> Sounds like a lyric. You should use it sometime. <laughs> we did. Yeah, I know. I'm I'm busting. And you look at our songs, Hang Tough, it's getting better every day. It's not what you got, it's what you give. That's the kind of thing, you know, that underlies, interweaves this whole Tesla thing, you know, of all of us, is we all we all believe that. 
Oh yeah, the, the you know half glass glasses half full kind of mentality. And that's, absolutely, uh, let's revisit some of the early musical days with City Kid and that transition. So, it was you and Frank and City Kid? When did you hook up with um with Jeff? Well, was Jeff it? was in City Kid too. All everyone was in City Kid because City Kid's what became Tesla. Even Troy? I thought Troy was after the fact. Troy was in City Kid. Oh, okay. Well, I have to... I mean, while we were recording the first album, we were still called City Kid. We didn't come up with a name until we finished mixing the album. Wow. Okay. It was Cliff Bernstein who gave us the name. Yeah, that's actually a cool part of the story because it seems to me like that name that you adopted then became like song titles, became inspiration for album titles. You kind of weave that Nikola Tesla theme throughout the catalogs, I guess it's it's fair to say, correct? Yeah, especially in the early part of the the, the, the career. Absolutely. Yeah. But a follow-up to that is, um, back to Jeff Keith for a minute, like he has a really, really unique voice. And I think back in the day, I, I thought I heard a rumor that, you know, like Jeff was just like a like a truck driver and he really he was. wasn't a vo- he wasn't really a vocalist. And then somebody heard him sing one day in the in the truck. But I think you had mentioned in your book that maybe it was a karaoke performance. Like, how was it that you guys decided, like, wow, this guy is kind of unique? And then did you have to write songs around his unique voice? Or was it like no, you just were writing no. a whole bunch of songs and he fit the songs? How did that all fit when it came to him as a vocalist? So we had another singer called Jeff Harper. And he was quitting. And we knew these girls that, that were fans of the band. They said, we know some kid up in Georgetown, California, where they all live, that sings. He's got a little band up there called Troubleshooting. We said, well, have him come down. So he came down, and he, had, he sang with us that night. Ironically enough, I couldn't hear him, and I didn't think he was very good, but Frank could. And Frank's the one that said, no, he's, he's, he's the guy, Brian. Trust me, he can sing. He's got a great voice. So now getting to the backstory of this, Jeff had won a contest a few months earlier in Sacramento where you came in and you put a Walkman on with the song, you know, playing in the cassette. And you sang to the crowd, but all they heard was you singing. They didn't hear the music, right? Just, just Alfalfa, we don't need you singing. Okay. That's my Jack, one of my Jack Russell Terriers. Um, so he had won this contest. But what Jeff did for a a job was he put in septic tanks. He drove a truck installing septic tanks. And that was his job. And I think, you know, when they wrote that bio or whatever on the first album, Tom Zutat wrote that bio. Uh, he put cement truck because it was a bit more glamorized, you know. Wow, so that story was true then. <laughs> so, yeah, he, he drove a truck, but it wasn't a cement truck. It was yeah. a septic tank truck. Tell the story, or let's revisit that whole thing about the the beginning of Tesla. What did they do? They told you to go away for a year to write stuff for mechanical? What, 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 well, Tom Zutat signed us. We had basically four of the songs that are on mechanical resonance. So he said, you know, look, I want you to, now that you're signed, I want you to go away and write some more songs until I feel you have enough strong songs to make a great first album. 
that took us about a year, right? We kept writing and writing and writing songs for about a year. And then within two weeks, we were in Bearsville making the album. That's really what I, quick. So the the mechanical lineup, the, the music on that, it wasn't like that traditional first album. These were the songs you've been playing for three years, four years. Well, some of them were. Some of them were, yeah. So some of them, some of them were real, real recent. Like Cowboy was written in the last recording in, in the last writing session we did. How how'd you get that Roth tour? Was it the association with Q Prime? Yeah, with Q Prime and, and being on Geffen Records and MTV was MTV was starting to play our uh, mechanical uh, modern day cowboy video, and Roth brought his crew in and showed him like six videos and said to the crew, you guys pick who you think the the opening act should be. And they picked us. Who'd you uh, beat out to get that tour? I don't know. Well, let's see. 80, 86, you know, probably who knows what it was. Yeah. But I, I saw that tour. That was the first time I saw you. There was that Roth solo. And I remember when that, uh, tour, that, um, that video came out. That's why I've never associated Tesla with, some of those other bands that unfortunately you may have gotten lumped into with the whole, uh, you know, hair metal kind of moniker. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, you know, um, Tess only got one album cover. I mean, one uh, magazine cover our whole career and lawn friend put us on rip magazine in 1991, but we never got any magazine covers and we, we didn't get a lot of press compared to a lot of the other bands that were quote unquote, as you might want to say, hair bands. That's an interesting topic. Um, we've actually asked other artists that because me personally, it bothers me a lot that XX, uh, Sirius XM Radio has that Hair Nation channel. I'm like, that's a, that's a disrespect to the bands from the era and the music that they played. It well, just cheapens it's it. It's a and bit condescending, yes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's interesting because you're not like, you're not the only one has has said that, you know, repeatedly. Hey, another question back to that um when you guys went on the road with Def Leppard uh, for the Hysteria tour, I know that you had obviously uh, your relationship with Joe Elliott and, and the, the band in general, but um, was there another band that was slated to go on that tour and you guys kind of slid in last minute or were you slated to go on that tour from the beginning of it? Uh, I remember being back in the day where I thought maybe you guys kind of were added kind of last minute. Are you talking about the that. Hysteria tour? Yeah, yeah. No, we were always meant to go on that tour. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, I got one one for two on the on the old school rumors. Um, hey, I was going to ask another. We have the same managers. We have the same. We have the same managers. Got it. Um, I know you wrote a lot about your father in the book and how, you know, the obviously the title of the book is "Son of a Milkman," but it sounds like then when you would go through town, I think you'd mentioned like Chicago area that he would then kind of try to see you, and at different times he'd ask you for money and things and. Was it like when you started hearing from him again, when you kind of got famous and Tufsley got popular or was there always some level of communication? No, that's when he kind of came. I, I started hearing from him a lot. Uh, you know, look, I, I saw him once when I was 12. I saw him one more time when I was 15 and then I didn't really have any contact with him anymore. And uh, when I got famous, then I, I'd hear from him. Well, the, the, that early part of the book, when you're talking about, um, you know, your mother and your aunt raising you, 
it's a credit to the vision that you and Chris Epting, the the guy you wrote the book with, that's the interpretation I got because I could really visualize it. It was like, you know, right from the start, you're expressing that, hey, man, th- I had a rough start from the beginning. And you're telling about, you know, the the step the step siblings. You, then you found out you had a half brother and you went through all this. And then I read, you know, you finally meet them when you're 12. So the, the point of the question is, um, by the time you got to be 12, 13, 14 years old, you're a lot older than a 13 year old. Was that a precursor for some of the strengths that you had going through the Tesla career? Yeah, it was. I mean, my psychiatrist used to tell me that, you know, because so much was laid on me at an early age. I was a lot older than at 12 years old. I had to become an adult. And then um, I was curious to find out, were you really all that on the ball field? Made it sound like you're a hell of a ball player. I still am. <laughs> you still play, you know, celebrity softball games? No, I play in baseball games, man. I'll play softball games. You still you still playing hardball, Brian? Yeah. Good for you, man. That's excellent. Uh tell us about your fanboy stuff. You and Jimmy Page are vinyl brothers. That was that was crazy reading some of that. Yeah, yeah. No, me and Jimmy are very good friends. We became friends. 1995 and we've developed a friendship since then and and, uh he's you know my real buddy and it's pretty cool considering when i was a kid i used to have his posters on my wall yeah that's that would be um that would be crazy ross helfin you still get into the photography with ross yeah but unfortunately with covid i ain't been able to go anywhere well you know we he asked me the other day did i want to go to dubai with him and do some photographing and uh i can't go right now hey brian another thing that you've mentioned not only in the book but um in some of the other discussions that you've had seems like you've been doing a lot of these uh press interviews which uh, i hope would is is a positive thing but um when you look back i mean when do you think you really started like turning the corner of like where you felt really confident about your bass playing and then songwriting and things like that when when did that kind of happen psychotic supper Probably by the time we got to the third album, yeah, I felt I was, you know, you know, de- you know, decent enough. Hey, Brian, I want to share this quick little story with you. A couple of weeks ago, I had a gentleman on the show. He, he's a fan, and he released released this book called "A Die Hard's <laughs> Journey in Rock and Roll." And he grew, mm-hmm. he grew up in the Glen Falls area of near Albany. And uh-huh. Dean DiLorenzo, that's the name of the guy. And he put together this book where it's hundreds of um, rock acts that he's met just by being a fan, hanging outside tour buses and this and that. And the one band that he actually developed a lasting relationship with was Tesla, that he became friends with Frank and Jeff. Um, you know, the tour manager gave him the number and when they were in Florida and this guy had moved all the way around the country and he kept in touch with the band. When I was interviewing him, I asked him, I'm like, that's, that's awesome because I'm in the middle of reading the Brian Wheat book, Son of a Milkman. And he stopped. He goes, Brian was a cool dude. He was quiet, but he was always courteous. And that's the one point throughout the book that I give you credit for. You've always seemed to be grounded. Can you comment on any of that? Um, well, the truth of the matter is I'm pretty shy. I don't like meeting new people. 
I'm not comfortable with it. So I tend to stay away from that kind of stuff if I can, just because it, I feel awkward, you know. But I do try to be polite, so I'm glad he said I was polite. He, he actually said, he goes, no, he was pretty cool. So props to you. Right on, man. Hey, hey, Brian, when, when you wrote this book, um, you know, there's two sides of it, right? There's the story of Tesla and, and the band and your bandmates and how you went from really no one knowing who you were to like really popular overnight almost with a whole bunch of platinum albums. But then there's your personal side of your story and then this perseverance side. Is there one that you want to overshadow more than the others or more like like are you looking to tell your personal story more so than the Tesla story? Or are they equally all part of, I guess, one big, one big story? Like how, how well, do you it's describe that? One big that? story. And, and as Tesla entered and, you know, left for a while, it, it just continues the story. So I, di- I didn't set out to write a, a Tesla book, if that's what you mean. You know, I didn't, I didn't, this is not the, you know, definitive history of Tesla. This is, you know, my story and how I saw things happen and how I remembered them. If, you know, someone else in the band wrote a book about, you know, the same stuff, I'm sure it would, it would read differently. And, and the other follow up to that is you mentioned the autoimmune disease that you, you struggle with. And I know there's other offshoot medical issues, but the main, I guess, diagnosis is Crohn's and colitis. And um, mm-hmm. I actually, unfortunately, have a really young daughter that got diagnosed when she was only nine years old and now she's 14. Mm-hmm. And I know that that particular disease is, is a really, it's rough in, in a lot of ways. And I know that that's what you deal with. So what do you want people to know about Crohn's and colitis specifically and how you've been managing? I know you write a lot about it again in the book, but well, um, uh, what do you, you know, how's she doing by the way? No, I think, thank you for asking. I mean, she's been in remission. She's on, you know, eight week treatments, infusion treatments, which is really rough for a 14 year old. And it's, she started when she was 10, uh, uh, but, but right now she's doing okay, you know, but, but you, you mentioned anxiety that goes with it. That's the whole thing. It's like a vicious circle because the anxiety fuels the, 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 you know, the autoimmune system ramping up and then the inflammation and everything else. And it's, it's kind of a, a vicious circle. What I had to learn to do is I got it when I was 15 and it went in remission till I was 40. And that just went on. And we're talking back then, that was naturally. I went on a bland diet for, for, for I think it was 12 weeks, and, and then that was it. And it went into remission. And then when I was 40, it kicked back up. And then it kicked back up, really, you know. And I've been battling it for the last 18 years. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm ahead of it these days. But there were some years that, you know, I, I would end up having to take prednisone three and four times a year, which is what, put, you know, prednisone puts the weights on you. Now, the infusions and the biologicals, I've never had those. They never gave me those. So, uh, believe it or not, the medication I take today, part of my daily regime is just an ASA drug, and it's a generic. It's the cheapest form. And it works better than the acetal, which is like six hundred bucks a bottle. So, who knows? I think the main thing with colitis and Crohn's is you got to try try and stay calm, okay? Because if you do get 
amped up and start getting anxious, it just feeds it more. And, and for whatever reason, you know, the funny thing is they don't know what causes it and they don't really have a cure. They just, they know how to keep it at bay and throw it into remission, but there's no definite cure. Um, I spoke about it because I wanted people to know some of the things that I have to go through and a big topic of issue, a big issue of topic for, you know, the Tesla message boards has always been my weight, especially in the last 20 years, it goes up and down and, and people are like, you know, what's wrong with him? Is he eating donuts? You know, tell him to go to the gym. And what they don't realize is not even eat fucking donuts. I've been shitting blood and fucking hunched over with cramps. And the only way I can get up and play on stage is take this nasty shit prendazone, which puts 60 pounds on you, you motherfucker. That's what I feel like saying, you know, but you can't. So I thought that if I talked about it in the book, that maybe it would educate some people on some of the things that I do have to go through with that. I mean, you know, Talking about colitis and depression and anxiety and how I was bulimic in the early days, those are not glamorous things to talk about. Most people won't talk about those because they're taboo subjects. And I just figured when I wrote this book that I was going to write an honest book and fuck it, I'm going to talk about all of it. You know what I mean? And put it out there and hopefully with the mindset being that it might help someone like your daughter. If she read the book, she'd say, wow, you know, Brian's got, you know, Crohn's too. I'm not the only one out there with Crohn's. So that's why I did it. Yeah. You know, Brian, it's interesting since I, since my daughter got involved and I have a lot of connectivity into the sports industry, you know, guy, it's already hard enough uh, touring and performing and being an athlete in and of itself, let alone you throw this other challenge in. But I, but you, to your point, your book is inspiring. And I told my daughter that I'm interviewing this rock star. She's, she's not a heavy metal rock fan at all, but she, I said, he has Crohn's and he's been dealing with this and he's a professional musician. And like it, it, it touched her automatically uh, right away. So, so mm-hmm. I, I, you know, thank you for including that in because you were, I mean, the book can't get any more honest and genuine. And I know the Vernomatic when he said, hey, I'm reading this book and I can't put it down. And that, you know, I had the same experience. And uh, so thank you for that, man. That's that's really it takes a lot of courage, you know, to write about. Like you said, that's the non-glamorous side of rock and roll and heavy metal that people don't always talk about. Well, you know, they want to just hear all the cool stuff, you know, the chicks <laughs> and drugs, and the rock and roll <laughs> yeah. and the money and the, the Mercedes Benz and stuff. They don't want to hear what you got to go through to get it. Hey, Brian, back to the music, just one brief second, just just back to test slides. I, I was just curious as well. Um, you know, there's a lot of different types of songs in the Tesla catalog. I mean, you've got your really straight heavy rockers or even I would call them metal in some ways. You've got ballads, you've got acoustic tracks, tons of melody and harmonies. What's your personal preference like in the style of like that you just hope that like resonates or that's kind of your favorite. Like me personally, I, I like the heavier edge stuff that you guys have done, but mm-hmm. you also love the, you know, the harmonies and melodies and the, and the ballad. So what, what's your, what's your favorite style within the, I don't catalog? really have a favorite style. I mean, I've written a song in each one of those categories, you know, for the band. So I don't really have a, a favorite, so to speak. Um, I'm just glad that, you know, Tesla is a diverse band. 
and that we're able to pull off all those different kind of things. But uh, even in the heavy stuff, there's still melody that runs through it. And I think that's the one thing is Tesla is a melodic band. And I, I like melody. What is the, um, I know it's a tough call right now, but what is the blueprint for 2021 as the band? I have no idea, man. <laughs> yeah, are you going? <laughs> I mean, you want me to lie to you? No, no, it's, uh, that's why I hate asking the question because you, I mean, look, you man, don't know. You don't know. There's some shows booked in the summer. Whether or not we do those shows, it's not up to us. It's up to the powers to be to, you know, yeah. look, we got to get through tomorrow, right? That's right. One last question. We got a couple show segments we like to have fun with, and one of them is mm-hmm. called the Mount Rushmore of Metal. So mm-hmm. we're going to ask you your Mount Rushmore of uh, <laughs> all right. What's you your ready? I'm, no, I'm ready. Are you ready? Um, I'm, I'm ready, man. Uh, why don't you give us your top four bands? I'm going to give you the four guys you're going to put up there, okay? No, you, I didn't even ask the question yet. Your top four bands that you've either uh, that you've played with, either by headlining or supporting. And why? Oh, and why? Man, now you threw a curveball at me. Well, it's Mount Rushmore metal. It's that important. <laughs> I thought you were going to say what four heads need to go up on Mount Rushmore. <laughs> no, well, yeah, it's oh, Mount Rushmore of metal of bands you've played with. Def Leppard, Motley Crue, Dix, Scorpions. I've seen them all and I love them all. That's cool. Why do I get to do mine now? Yeah, do yours. All right. Paul McCartney, Jimmy Page, Freddie Mercury, and hang on, man. Paul McCartney, Jimmy Page, Freddie Mercury. We got to have one more. There's four heads up there, right? It's not going to be a drummer, so it's not going to be like a, it's going to be a band. Otherwise, the easy one would be John Bonham, right? You put John Bonham up there. But I'm thinking an artist here. Hang on. Jeff Lynn. <laughs> Yellow, why Jeff Lynn? Genius. I know, but I know you're going to say, "Well, it's, isn't it a little close to the Beatles?" Yeah, maybe <laughs> so, but still a genius. That's the thing about Mar- Mount Rushmore of metal, of rock. There is no wrong answer. Those are your answers, and we appreciate that. What about uh, same same question? Singers, singers, Freddie Mercury. Jeff Keith, Steven Tyler, Rod Stewart. <laughs> That's awesome. You want to uh, keep going? Uh, we could. I, we were going to ask you about the like the women side of things, like the most memorable. That that we have a thing called he- metal confessions. <laughs> but oh. seeing as you're out of respect to, what do you uh, want to know, you know about you're... women, man? <laughs> I was just jealous that you started checking things out when you were only seven. <laughs> <laughs> well, I come from a family of seven children. I'm the youngest. Yeah. My uh, brother's 14 years older than me. Think about it. I'm seven. He's 21. <laughs> He's having fun. I uh, walk in, say, what the fuck is this? All right. We're going to do it. Awesome. We're going to do another show segment. It's called Fire, Fire and Ice. It's either or. Okay. Okay. It's, a, right. it's a quick rapid. High and, right. high and dry or pyromania? High and dry. Best black album, Back in Black or the Black Album? Back in Black. Cliff, Jason, or Rob? Cliff. 
I know that's an easy one. <laughs> it gets easier. That's not that easy. Hagar or Roth? Roth. The best debut album by a band? Led Zeppelin one. I've got one more. Bust a Nut or Psychotic Supper? Psychotic Supper. I think Bustin' Up could be a sleeper one that people just don't you give know, it credit. You know, it's funny. Like, people people get on me because I say that Bustin' Up out of the first six records was my least favorite, and it was disjointed. And it was. I know I was there. I wrote half of it. The band was falling apart. But it had some great moments on it, okay? And... And I do like the album. So that, not that I dislike the album, but you know, it's hard when you got, you know, five albums and you got to, someone's asking you to pick your favorite. And because you don't pick Busta Nut, oh man, you should hear the fans on the message board go crazy on me. How can you dare not like Busta Nut? <laughs> I don't know who came up with that album title. <laughs> Frank. Back, back to the women <laughs> conversation. And that's what it was uh, about, too, was busting it up. Of course. <laughs> it should have been called busting up, because that's what we were doing. We were about ready to break up, so it should have been called busting up. Uh, too funny. Yeah, how, how often do you come to New York? Are you, like, split, like, half the year now? Do you, like, yeah, go half for Texas, summer? Yeah, half New York. Do you just come for the summers, or the, like, how, when do you come back up north? The spring and summer and part of the fall. The only allure to the area was that you just happened to like the house and it was like in the right price range. And I mean, had you ever been like to like Auburn, New York before? Probably only just no, passing by. No, never been to Auburn, New York. I've been to Syracuse, obviously. I've been to Weedsport because there used to be a gig in Weedsport. Oh, you know, you know, it's summer when they're rocking at Weedsport. Yeah. Been to Rochester many times. I really like Rochester. Um, but I just saw this house and it just spoke to me. And then, you know, I wanted a big a town, but not a big city. I, you know, I didn't want a tiny town because the town we live in in Texas is a thousand people. It's too small. So I, I wanted more, you know, than just a thousand people. Let, let me ask you, what do you love about Rochester so much? I think it's beautiful. They have some amazing architecture. I really am into old houses and architecture. And there's that area there by Park Avenue and all that where the the Eastman stuff is. And, you know, there's all those beautiful old homes there in that neighborhood. I just think it's a really cool place. It reminds me of Sacramento a lot, where, I, where I'm from, where I lived my whole life until about four years ago. You know, it's interesting, Brian, is uh, we, so Vernon Manick and I got into a little show promoting before the pandemic and we promoted Dokken, um up here and Don came and, you know, we were staying down at, you know, downtown and we took him to the venue, which was kind of in this little corn, uh, corn hole, corn hill area, you know, but, but then he had a, we drove him through park Ave and East Ave cause he, he wanted to go to like seven 11 or something to pick up some stuff. And he was like, he was blown away. He's like, Holy shit. He's like, I had no idea. Uh, yeah, these beautiful Victorian homes were here and like the history yeah. and he was yeah. like, he was really digging it. And same thing with Vinnie Apice too. We were, we were walking around with him and he was like digging the whole Park Ave scene and yeah, it's a little best kept secret. Of course, you know, we have the house of guitars here. So that's right. Know, hey, are they still doing that. gigs at the armory there? 
When we have gigs, yes, um, yes. Well, yeah. we, we saw you there. Who'd you open for? Priest? Who'd we? No, no, no. We headlined. You headlined. Yeah, it was hot as hell in there. But yeah, that was it was like six, seven years ago. They, yeah, yeah. The, they they still have gigs there. They uh, the German house still is well, but that's where we had the docking gig, uh, montage music hall. That there was a place called Water Street. Um, actually, it's been interesting as we've been doing this podcast, we've been digging into the history of Rochester uh, metal a little bit, like, and we found out there's a lot of roots that from here, like Metallica did kill them all here. Uh, Carl Kennedy from the rods uh, is connected to Rochester. There's a place called Lakeshore records and the penny arcade back in the day, like Lemmy, you know, played here a ton. Like, like, it's just like, we're kind of uncovering like almost by accident. Like we knew it was kind of around, but it's kind of mm-hmm. cool. There's a lot of deep rock metal stuff coming that that has originated here oh i thought that was the other dog who is that spanky or alfalfa misbehaving spanky (laughs) (laughs) and i love the name of your dogs the the late clyde uh was it clyde and uh bonnie and clyde bonnie and clyde yeah thank you darla (laughs) that's good stuff brian it's uh you know, it was a great book. I really enjoyed it. And I usually do audible books, but that was, you know, it kept me awake. So. Hey, Brian, should you, uh, can you throw in a couple of, uh, where can people find your information? I mean, the Tesla stuff's obvious, but like just the book information and your website and things like that. Um, uh, Brian, we at Facebook and, uh, you know, uh, Tesla, the band.com Tesla, Facebook, the band, Facebook. Yeah, I, I have it all. They'll be on the show notes, but um, that, yeah. that's the two. All right. Well, um, Brian, thanks for um, thanks for spending the afternoon with us. I think Mark has a parting shot. I want to thank you. I enjoy the book, and I enjoy your music, sir. Well, thank you, guys. And and Brian, whether this is a conversation for today or maybe a different day, maybe we could connect through Chipster, but um, I did email Chip and told him that I'm involved with the uh, Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of Western New York. Uh, and it's it's Syracuse, Buffalo, Rochester. I don't know if you'd be interested in learning more about it or like maybe connecting, you know, about that the foundation itself. Absolutely, man. I'd be into anything I can do to help you with that. Uh, that that would be awesome because I mean it's like anything, you know. We're just Crohn's and colitis is one of those diseases that's not like everybody knows what the American Cancer Society is, but then. Sometimes this disease, because it's not that well, you know, readily talked about for the reasons that you described, that uh, mm-hmm. like we're almost like the forgotten little little child in in the in the nonprofit world. So, anything that we could do, like whether it's like a you know draw awareness, some kind of you know, obviously there's all they're always doing fundraisers and things like that, but but more it's on the right. awareness side. And and look, uh, we have a studio here. If you ever want to just come into our studio and. We'll go to House Guitars and grab a, a beer or something one night. That, yeah, we're always down for that. <laughs> All right, guys. All right, Brian. Thanks hey, again, buddy. Nice talking to you. Thank you so much, Brian. Take care. All right, hit me up about that Crohn's thing. That's yeah. really cool. Thank you, man. Good luck with everything. Good luck with your book. Thank you. Okay. You got it, buddy. Thank you for listening to tonight's discussion. Any questions or comments, please share with us at MetalMayhemROC.com. Now, we are back. Back to the rest of tonight's show. Dude seems like a pretty cool guy. And it's pretty cool that he's uh, bought a third home up here in the Finger Lakes of Western New York. So we're basically neighbors. Brian Wheat, Tesla, Metal Mayhem, ROC, tonight's feature interview. 
it was cool to get Metal Forever Mark up here and doing another joint team interview. That's always fun to do. Hey, listen, uh, again, we want to invite you to go to the Metal Mayhem ROC website. There you'll find all the information about the show, where you can find past episodes, sign up for the email newsletter that gets you in the drawing for free promotional stuff that we give away. Again, tonight's winner, Greg Brockway of Rochester, New York. He won the Rob Helford book, Confess. That's the type of stuff we're doing here. Just want to remind you, Monday nights on ThatMetalStation.com, the brand new Metal Mayhem ROC live radio show is going on. It's a cool interactive show. There's a chat room, and yours truly is playing three hours of the best of metal from the 70s, 80s, 90s, all the way up to yesterday. So that's what's going on here. Going to leave you with one more song, Tesla, live version of Modern Day Cowboy for Metal Forever Mark. I'm the Vernomatic, and until next week, always remember, keep it heavy.
Thanks for listening to Metal Mayhem ROC. Check out our websites at MetalMayhemROC.com and MetalForever.com for information on upcoming concerts, podcasts, archives, and all sorts of info. Please like, follow, and share with everyone, even your non-metal friends. Catch us next time on WLFE TV Radio. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.